Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm too lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. If you got your Bibles, I think we're having a little bit of issue with my, my box this morning, but they've got it straightened out. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. We're in the Beatitudes and uh, coming to a close. I said that. I started this series in January, and uh, <laughs> so we're coming to a close, I'm hoping, by December. So we're, we're praying for it. Amen. It's been a, a challenging year for sure, isn't it? Hasn't it? Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 3, and seeing the multitude, he, speaking of Jesus, went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure, pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And finally, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God heaven. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Um, so I think this is, I'm not sure, probably the eighth or ninth lesson that we've taught here on the Beatitudes. This whole idea of the Beatitude, what is the goal of the Beatitude? Somebody help me out. This is a question this morning. We talk about the possibility, the challenge, but the goal when I first started, I told you that the word blessed is often translated happy. But remember, we looked into the Greek, and the idea behind being blessed was deeper than just being happy. It was one of maturity. And so the goal of the beatitude is to possess a mature attitude, because here's the reason why. Immature people make immature decisions. They make haste decisions in haste. They make decisions that are going to lead to negative things. But mature people, right? Um, once we calm down and get out of the ceiling, right? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Um, what we do is hopefully we can make more mature decisions. We can look at the bigger picture. And that's really what it is. And so just kind of as this, we talked about each specific challenge was linked to a promise or a possibility. And, and those are tremendous. They're tremendous possibilities. And so for the first several lessons, I spent talking about the challenges. And we didn't even look at the possibilities or the promises. And so now we're looking at the promises. So just as a quick recap, the first and the last beatitude have the same promise. Now this is, this is unique. They have the same promise attached to them. So if we can get this attitude, it will ultimately lead us to what I believe is the greatest promise in the entire Bible. Because Jesus said if you have these attitudes, that theirs or the benefit or the possibility 
possibility or the promises, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so what greater possibility, what greater promise can there possibly be than heaven? You, you with me? I mean, I, I mean, you know, if I promised you a million dollars today, that would be exciting, right? Some of y'all need more coffee. Okay, Sis, Sister Flo, next week, put some little more coffee in there. Because I said a million dollars, and they went, yeah. Went, really? Seriously? That's not how, a million dollars? I'm like, yeah. Two, can I get two? Yeah. You know? I mean, seriously. I mean, if you're giving away that kind of stuff, I, I'm just saying, I, I ain't going to be bashful about it. Okay? And y'all are like, yeah. Okay? So the greatest promise or the greatest possibility that the entire Bible presents to us is the possibility of heaven. Now, our world, they, they want to guarantee heaven, but that's really not, you know, it's going to depend. There's, there's a, lot, a lot of factors that are, that are in there. And so this promise is linked to the specific challenges of being poor in the Spirit. The being poor in the Spirit, and we've talked about this at length, right, is recognizing the undisputable fact that we are, that I am spiritually destitute, that I have absolutely no ability to change my spiritual situation. I can change my natural situation. I can work harder, make more money, buy more things. I can change the, the, out, the, the situation and circumstance in my life, but I can't change the fact that I was born a sinner. I can't, I can't change the fact that my attitude, my actions, my things, they are offensive to a holy God. I, I can't change the fact that there's not one thing that I could possibly do to work or earn my way into heaven. Can't do it, right? And so that the attitude of being poor in spirit is one that I recognize that without God, I can do nothing in a spiritual realm. That's, that's tough because a lot of people live their entire lives. They can live 80, 90, 100 years and never come to the place that they recognize that they can't save themselves. And so the first attitude that starts there, and Jesus said of these people who get to the recognition that I cannot change my destiny after this life, those people, he said, those people, theirs, that promise, that possibility was the kingdom of heaven. The second one was the last beatitude. And in my opinion, the most difficult. And just as a recap here, he said, blessed are, are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. Now, I'm, I'm being transparent. Just the idea of persecution seems unreasonable to me. It's a completely foreign concept to most of us. And it doesn't matter the reason. I'm just not fond of the idea of suffering and persecution. Okay? Just being honest about it, right? But in my lifetime, I can tell you, and I'm not that old, but I'm old enough, I've never seen people lining up, oh, pick me, can I suffer? Can... I'm looking around. I, I'm, I haven't found that line yet. I haven't found, okay? And so for most of us, we're just not willing to suffer unless we have to. Right? And so that's really what it is, let alone being willing to be abused or willing to even die for a cause. And so that, that, that perspective, but when we, when we get the right perspective, when we get the right view of how truly great and how truly tremendous this promise is, Jesus puts it in emphatic words, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So as I, as I look at it from that perspective and not just from my perspective, okay, 
Okay, I got it. Now I can see why. I can, I can understand the why, and if I had that attitude, if it came down to heaven or hell, being persecuted or not being persecuted, I'd be willing to go through whatever if I understood the fact and knew that there was a possibility of heaven. Amen? Does that, does that make sense? And so two weeks ago, we looked at the, the second and the third. So we got one and eight. Now we're look, working at, at two and three. And we said, blessed are they which mourn. That was the challenge, being mournful or, or having that sense of mourning over our sin or over our condition. But here's the promise. They shall be comforted. That's a tremendous promise from the Word of God, and we, we talked about some of those things, how that we are comforted by God's presence, and we're comforted by God's Word. And then I went to the, great, to, the, to the deeper point and said, the greatest comfort you will ever find in this life, no matter what, you will not find a greater comfort than knowing that your sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no greater comfort than knowing that I've been forgiven for every fault, every failure, every idle word. You just you can't you can't do that. Everything that disqualifies me for the kingdom is under the blood, and that is that truly is the greatest comfort you can have. I mean, I remember being a little boy and getting you know you're doing what little boys do, and my mom would hold me and comfort me, and that was tremendous. But nothing. Nothing can, can comfort a child of God like the, like the fact that we know that when I come to an altar and confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive it and to cleanse me from unrighteousness. Paul wrote it this way in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, having forgiven you of all trespass, tra- trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinance that was against us and contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Those are tremendous promises of the Word of God. Then we went into, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And what we, what we found out when we began to look at that idea of meekness, and Sister Sylvia touched on it last week when she was talking and te- she was teaching in here, and the idea is that, that pride and arrogance, God just completely goes away from, but he's attracted to humility. And so meekness and humility are one, but we learned that the earth is not just a piece of dirt. You know, I, I like that idea, right? They shall inherit the earth. But, but what, does that, what does that mean? We talked about the earth is the arena in the Greek. He described it as an arena. It's the area of life in which I live, in which you live. That's the arena. It's the place where your life happens. You know, what are you talking about? I'm going to inherit the things that I'm involved in. I'm going to inherit that. What is he talking about? He's talking about our victory. As the people of God, we talk about victory. What does that mean? What, what does victory look like? Victory is walking a successful life with Jesus Christ. Victory is having my children serving God. Those things are victorious. And he said, the blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit. Not some piece of dirt somewhere, but he's going to inherit a victorious place of living in their life. And that, that's tremendous, right? My victory is assured in Jesus Christ. Not when I'm arrogant, not when I'm prideful, not when I'm demanding, not when I'm selfish, but when I'm meek and I'm humble. That's the right attitude, right? Trusting him in every situation, trusting him in every circumstance. So this morning, as we get started, about time to quit, um, <laughs> verse 6, I want to talk to us about, he said this in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's the challenge, to be hungry and thirsty, right? He said, now here's the promise, for they shall be filled. Now, I I like the idea of being filled. 
I don't like empty things. Anybody? But there's some magic in the Roberts household. Some of you men are just, I love you, but you're not blessed. I'm, just, I'm blessed. There's magic in my household. I'm, I'm Magic. I put my laundry into two separate baskets, and magically, it reappears, clean, pressed, ready to go, hanging in the closet, in the right place in the drawer. I have a cup. I generally have a cup when I come home, and I, magically, it's filled with water or tea or some gen- magic. Right? I, I know. I know. I, I talked to some men the other day. I mean, it's magic. I got up to go fishing the other morning at 4.30 in the morning, and my wife was in the kitchen making me a sandwich. It was magic. It was wonderful, right? I, I feel bad for all of you men whose wives wouldn't do that. Shame. I mean, no. No magic in your house. I, but... I'm just telling y'all, if I leave that cup there long enough, it shall be filled. Sister Roberts will walk over and take that cup and walk, and it'll come back full of something. Now, some of y'all, y'all ain't got it like I got it, and I ain't, I ain't mad at you, but I ain't giving it back, okay? Just saying what it is, right? When we looked at this challenge earlier this year, sometime this year, we said, of David, we talked about David, and we said it matters how you come, because what separated David from everybody else was his attitude, was his maturity in the way he approached God and the things of God. Some people approach God like they're at Sonic. Well, I'll have the, uh, uh, I want, what kind of ice cream do you have? You're at Sonic, dude. Just order something, right? There's a whole menu. But some people approach God, they're like, well, I, you know, it's not Burger King. I, I'm not trying to be mean, but they approach God, well, I'll come and I'll do and I'll, and they're making bargains with God. No, no. Listen, David approached, he, he went from shepherd boy to king and never changed his attitude in the way he approached God. He went from the lowest of the low to not being regarded by his own family to being king of the whole nation and never changed the way that he came to God. And so this is what I know about every single person in this room, that you woke up this morning hungry and thirsty. Right? You, you, you did, right? And if you're not hungry and thirsty right now, you soon will be. By the time I get done teaching for two hours and pastor preaches for four, you're going to be hungry. Right? Some of y'all are going to be thirsty. But Isaiah is not, or I'm sorry, he's not, the, J- Jesus is not writing to a particular group of people, but he understood that everybody that draws breath is going to be hungry and thirsty for something. And so in his divine wisdom, the Almighty God has built into your heart, into your spirit, into every human being, hunger. He has. He has built into you thirst, and, and no matter whether you know it or understand it or don't, you are hungry and thirsty for something. And, and the truth is, the truth is, you can really never get enough. Yeah. More magic, right? I eat something, and three hours later, some of y'all 20 minutes later, you're back in the cabinet looking for something else, right? It's magic. It just it just a lot of magic going on. But God understood that that there there was there was going to be something. And so what he did was he created inside of you when 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 you were born, he created a void inside of you that you can put anything in there that you want to put. But the fact of the matter is, nothing will actually satisfy that void but Jesus Christ. 
Doesn't matter what you put in, doesn't matter how much you put in, it's just like food. In a few hours, you're going to be hungry for something else. You can't drink enough, smoke enough, snort enough, do enough, buy enough, get enough. That void is built in you by an almighty God, and nothing will change that. People can have all the money in the world they can do. You understand that? We get that, right? It it doesn't matter what you put in there. It will not ultimately satisfy you. When I was a a young man, and before the Lord, I was a Rolling Stones fan. Don't lift your hand. We're not celebrating them. But Mick Jagger had a song. He said, I can't get no satisfaction. Well, if you're the lead singer of the Rolling Stones, one of the most popular, I would think that you could find something in this world with all your money, talent, ability, and, and right, and that something that would satisfy you. But here's this man singing a song that became very popular. I can't get. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I'm 55 years old and I got me some satisfaction. I walked into an. I walked into an apostolic church at 19 years old, and I have found some satisfaction. Jesus said, they shall be filled. It's not. There's a void. It can only be filled by God, that hunger and that thirst for satisfaction. But here, here, here's the rest of the story Paul Harvey would tell you. It's both a grace and a danger. It's both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because you have it. It's a blessing because it's built in us, that that hunger, that desire, that thirst, right? That consuming desire to to get, to do more, to be more, right? And and, and that's a blessing because I can focus it on God and it can be a blessing, but at the same time, it can be a curse. Because not only can we, but we all will pursue some things that we should not. It's the truth of the matter, right? I'm telling you, last night I, I pursued some things in the kitchen that I should not. And my wife said, what are you doing? I said, leave me alone. <laughs> you know, no, don't, mm-mm, mm-mm, nope, uh-uh, but, but, mm-mm, don't, don't go there. I'm going to eat it because I want it, and that's the end of it. But you know what it's going to do? I don't care what's going to do to my blood sugar. I'm going to eat it. I, I've already got it in the bowl. It's coming. Just what it is. And there's going to be times like that. For every one of us, you know what, right? You, you're going to get mad over something, and you know you're mad, and you know you're saying something you shouldn't say, and if you had your lips sewed together, you'd still say it. Right? You know it. This is just the truth of the matter. You understand it. There's just some point in every life that you have been to that place, and likely you're going to be there again, that you're going to pursue something that you know you absolutely should not. You know it's dangerous. Look, I, I watch, anybody get the Facebook videos? I don't know why I keep getting the Facebook videos of the knuckleheads picking up snakes. Mm-mm. What is wrong with people? Get a shovel and kill the thing. Oh, no, we got to, it's really poison. If it bites you, you'll fall over dead in 10 seconds. Then why are you holding it in your hand? I, what's wrong with you? Were you born stupid or did your mother drop you on your head? Put the snake down, step away, kill the thing. Oh, no, no, they're precious. No, they're not. Listen, this is our humanity. There are dangerous things that, that you're going to gravitate to, that I'm going to gravitate to. Well, you're a preacher. It doesn't matter. There are things that you're going to gravitate to, that you're going to hope, that you're going to desire somehow, that it's going to satisfy that void in your life, even though you know it cannot do it. 
There's a distortion in our humanity. And so here's what you need to understand. Every single day you wake up, you're hungry, you're thirsty. And every day you're going to pursue something. You're going to make a decision. I'm going to go after something that's going to satisfy that, that, that place in my soul. But only you can decide what it is you're going to pursue. You can't make me chase something I don't want to. Go get that snake. Not happening. Nope. If it's in here, I'll help you get it out. We'll carry its dead body out on a shovel. That's the only way it's going out. But the real question that I want to ask us this morning is, what is it that you're hungry for? Don't answer the question. What is it that you're truly thirsty for? Now, I understand, you know, I'm hungry for Jesus. I'm hungry for Jesus. Well, then why weren't you here when prayer started? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm asking a question with a, with a relevant answer. Where were you? I, you understand what I'm saying? And so here's what he said. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. I'm going to read a couple verses there. Hold your finger there. I, I like this. It's kind, of, it's kind of different here. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. He says, ho. Now, anybody know what ho is? You ho in a garden, right? Okay. That's, that's not what it means. Ho is an interjection, right? And I, Isaiah used it. So the, the, the definition means a ha or a las or ha. But an interjection in writing is usually a, a single, fa- single phrase or a word or a short clause. But it, it has a critical function. Um, it, it gives it the, uh, the ability to convey an emotion that might otherwise go ignored. And so the writer interjects something to express and emotion. And so Isaiah starts this, this, this 55th chapter, and he just says, ho. He's like saying, stop. Now, if you went back and looked at the writing of Isaiah, you'd find him writing, whoa. He alas, and aha. He had lots of different interjections that he used in the book of Isaiah. And so this particular one, he's saying, listen, stop right here and pay attention. He says, he says it this way. He says, everyone that thirsteth, that little E-T-H on the end, that's a continuation of, come ye to the waters, and he that, now I like this part, he that hath no money, you ain't got no money spiritually. You can't purchase something in that right because we're poor in spirit. We don't have the ability to change our destiny, right? Come ye and, what, that hath no money, come ye and buy and eat, yea, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. I kind of like that, right? And so Isaiah is saying, listen, if you're thirsty, you got to make sure that you're coming to the right one. And so he's writing, everyone, you need to come to the water because you got to make it to the right source. Tell your neighbor, you got to go to the right source. Now, verse 2, he continues this way. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? The New Living Translation renders that particular sentence, which does not give you strength. It's not going to provide nourishment for you. Now, kind of understand that. Why are you spending money on something that's not going to help you, right? Why are you buying something that's not going to provide nourishment, right? And, and so that, that's, that's, a good, that's a good point. And your labor, you're exerting your labor for that which does not satisfy. Tell your neighbor, you can't get no satisfaction. Here's what he says. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Anybody like some like to eat something that you don't like? Right? You remember the first Bush when he was president? And he said, I don't eat broccoli. And the broccoli grower sent a whole truckload of broccoli to the White House. 
and he stood up behind the podium. He said, listen, I'm XX numbers of years old. I'm an adult, and I don't eat broccoli. And they can send all the truckloads they want here. I'll go a step further. I'm the president of the United States, and I still ain't going to eat broccoli. You can set it out there and let it rot on the street. I don't eat broccoli. Okay? Listen, if you don't like it, you're not going to eat it. Well, I don't like that, but I'm hungry, so I'm going to eat it. It's not going to satisfy. It might fill the void for a moment, but it's just not going to satisfy. And he doesn't stop there. He says, eat, that, eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. I want to talk to some people. Listen, Isaiah gives us a contrast here that there are substances that are available to us which satisfy the soul and which cannot satisfy the soul. And so when, we're, when we're start, we start talking about this, you need to understand that there is nothing created on this earth which can satisfy your soul. This is a hard concept. This is difficult because you've been taught from, from, from a very little age that if you could just get this or you can just get that or you can just be this or you can just be that, it'll satisfy you. But the truth is none of that stuff will satisfy your soul. They'll satisfy your flesh. They'll satisfy, right? Why, why is it that, that the guy who's, who's in, you know, 50 years old and he, he trades in his, uh, his, his mature wife for that younger model? Like, don't act like y'all don't live in this world, right? And, and, and then when he gets 70, he'll trade her in for, right? He trades the 50-year-old in for a 25-year-old. When he gets 70, he trades her in for a 35-year-old. Why? Because, because he's truly not satisfied. It's got nothing to do with the women. He's not satisfied. And he doesn't understand that there's nothing in this earth that can truly satisfy him apart from Jesus Christ. And so he goes through that. And so Scripture tells us that creation ultimately fails to satisfy the soul. From, really, from the beginning of time, every man, every woman, every boy that's ever been born, they, they, they're trying to find fulfillment in something which cannot do it. Now, how many of you, how many of you got good jobs? How many of you love your job? How many of you get satisfaction out of your job? That's a good thing. That's natural. That's normal. But the truth is that that job's not going to satisfy you forever. What are you saying? I'm saying it's not really enough. I like the money. I like the atmosphere. I like the people. I like the job. I like like most of what they want me to do, right? Okay. Some of you are like, well, I like 1% of what they want me to do. Line up and get my check, right? And so it's a little bit different. But let me give you this diagnostic. Now, I want you to, everybody, just look at me for a moment. This is a pretty, pretty helpful diagnostic. It's really super deep. If I had, if I only had blank, then I would be happy. If I only had, and you got to fill in the blank, then I'd be happy. Well, some of you girls, like, if I only had that man, <laughs> whoo, six foot tall with a six pack, I'm... Don't worry, his six-pack will become a case before long. <laughs> he, he'll get the bedroom disease. His, his chest will fall to his drawers like every other guy eventually. It, it'll happen. It's just, just what it happens, right? Well, the dad bod, right? You, but I, you, can't, you can't feel what, what achievement can I put in that blank? What, what possession, what amount of money can I, what relationship can I put in that blank? What, what experience can do that, right? For me, I'm, I'm be, man, for me, it's, it's a boat. Man, details just in my mind, you know. Have you, bro, 
bro, have you looked at the prices of new boats? You probably haven't, have you? They're ridiculous. I, I mean, okay, they're offensive. I ain't going to lie to you. I'm like, I look at people, I'm like, how do you afford that boat? My Lord, man, I mean, it's crazy. They have financed a boat for 20 or 30 years. It's like a house. It's just a boat. I can't believe I said that. But, I'm, you know, I had a guy that I used to work with, but Stephen, he'd come in, I had some free time at work, I'm looking at new boats. He's like, you know, he's teasing me. That's, that's all you know. And I, I do, I, I look at boats all the time. And, and I'm not going to buy one. I got one, and that's enough. Okay? But the truth is, I mean, it's ridiculous. For you, it could be something else. If I only had, man, if I had that 28-foot center console with the twin 200s on it, boy, whew, I'd be sporty. But, Brother Henry, that fish don't know what kind of boat you caught it off of. For you, you got to fill in that blank. What is it that's going to satisfy you? What If I only had blank, then I would be really happy. And, and you know, I, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't have something that they, they want. But here's what. I want, I want to go just one step further because in our humanity, we like to look over the obvious. The promise says they shall be filled. Now, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I go to Longhorn, I'm sitting down to a, a steak. I'm fitting to be filled by that steak. Pastor said preach, right? You, okay. I, I, okay. I, I know what I'm getting filled with. Okay. But here's the thing. So we think if we want it, we're going to get it. That's where the lie of the enemy works into the word of God and distorts our humanity. Well, if I want that, then I'm not going to be satisfied until I get that. Now, there's nothing wrong with having dreams and goals and wanting to attain things. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. Here's what the Bible says. They that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. But we go right over the righteousness. They that hunger and thirst, they shall be filled. I've heard people literally say that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, right? But when we get to the kingdom of God and his righteousness, is the I mean, we, we blow through that like it's peanut butter and jelly, man. That's good. I'm, I'm moving on to the steak, right? Because I'm going to get what I want. But the truth is, you shall be filled if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, but what you're going to get filled with is righteousness. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, okay, Brother Roberts. No, 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 because in our humanity, we want to bypass what it is we're being filled with. Because some there's in, is that innate part in us that says, I'm going to be filled, and I think I'm going to be filled with what I want. And so, well, if I'm hungering and I'm thirsting for righteousness, that's the obvious thing. And so what is Righteousness. I'm glad you asked. The Greek word that Matthew re- uses here is dikaiosune. All right? I'm not going to try to spell it for you, but it means really deep here righteousness. It means uprightness or or justice. But let me give you a better definition for biblical righteousness. A better definition for biblical righteousness is right standing with God. The the, the word help studies says it this way. Righteousness is God's approval or a a place where I get divine approval. And so I began to look at that from that standpoint and say, wait a minute, they that hunger and thirst after God's approval, though they that hunger and thirst for divine approval, not 
listen, not from humanity, not from. All right? You understand what I'm saying? Because we will do anything we possibly can to get somebody else to approve of us. Do you see my boat? Man. I just, Brother Tom, I just think if I'm out on Chesapeake Bay in a, in a $200,000 boat, I'd look better than I would in that old junker I got. I'd just look better. And people would go ooh and ah when I come by. But the same thing is applying in your life. You, if you would, you, somehow in, it's built into our humanity that if I get this or I get that or I get that, then people are going to think differently about me. If I had a million dollars, people would treat me different. If I had, if I was this or if I was that or if I was this or I was that, people would treat me. And that's, that's the truth because that's the way it's built in our humanity. But what, what, what we're really talking about here is, is, is I'm talking about divine approval. And we will do anything. I'm talking about put ourselves in crazy debt so that somebody would think differently about us. We would go to extreme lengths. Just look at some of this crazy stuff people are doing to their bodies for approval. Hello? They ain't putting all them mirrors in that gym for no reason. Okay? You, you get it. You don't understand what I'm talking about. And so here's what he's talking about. He said, they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're going to get filled. But if we were writing that in English, they shall be filled with God's righteousness. They shall be filled with his divine approval. And so while we'll do go to any length to get somebody to accept us and approve us, what will we do? That was the difference between David. David the shepherd boy wanted to be approved by God. David the king was seeking the divine approval of an almighty God. And I'm asking some folks in Living Hope on a Sunday morning in the middle of May, coming out of a pandemic, what will you do for his approval? Well, I I came to church. So did a lot of other people. But I'm not trying to get noticed by men. Somebody with me this morning? I know I blew it this morning. I messed this whole message up, but I'm trying to help somebody this morning. I I wasted 20 minutes trying to get my notes right, but I'm trying to help you right now. What will you do when we start worshiping to get his approval? David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let me go to the house of the Lord. Oh, oh, but I got all these kingly things to do, and I want to make sure everybody's worried about what I'm, no, no, I got to get to the house of the Lord. I'm helping some people here. You just need to listen. Get the blank filled right. I'm not trying to get anybody else's attention. I just want to get his attention. Listen, they shall be filled. But as long as you're seeking something else, that's all you're going to get. But, But when you start seeking righteousness, What is that? It's simple. It's right standing with God. It's the divine favor of God. Well, you don't know how many bad things I've done. No, I don't know how many bad things you've done. And I don't care how many bad things you've done. I know what good thing he's done. I'm not worried about what you've done or what you've not done. I know what he did on Calvary. I don't have have time. Listen. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, righteousness was done by what you did. 
Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 25. Put that up there for me, sis. I know I jumped ahead. And it shall be our righteousness. This is the people talking, right? It shall be our righteousness if we observe, if we obey the commandments before the Lord our God, right? If we do this, then it'll be righteousness. And so righteousness in the Old Testament did two things. It gave you the ability to get in the presence of God, to go in the temple without fear. And it was an overall acknowledgement of peace with God. Those two things, but they were all, they were temporary and they were based on the if they. If I did this, then God would allow that, right? Those were temporary solutions. They were, they, listen, there, were there was no continually, they were continually receiving the approval of God. And then just like the rest of us, they were continually losing the approval of God. How do I know? Because they lived in flesh like I do. They lived in flesh like you do. And here's what the enemy does, right? The enemy, you come to church and you pray and you repent and you get your life right with God and you walk out the door and you get in a fuss before you get out of the parking lot. And all that righteousness that you got in here is gone before you get home. And all you want to talk about was where do you want to go for lunch. And that's how the fight started. And you couples are laughing because you know that's the God's honest truth. And you, you get it. You understand it. And so you live all week thinking that you've got no divine approval. But we know what the Word said. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. We get it. We understand it. And so we live in this place, and we go back to seeking the approval of men instead of seeking the approval of God. What does God approve? God approves an altar. God approves repentance. God approves of worship. God approves of, what, of, of consistency. God approves of holiness. God approves of those things. But we'll do crazy stuff to impress people. And so here's what they, they said. Oh, if, if they did this, it was temporary. They didn't understand that at Calvary, Jesus Christ bought a permanent solution for us where we could get the approval of an almighty God. Now, this is, this is beyond my little pea brain to understand. That an almighty God in heaven, the creator of everything, who spoke the world into existence, can look down at me and say, I approve you. What? We got approved. What do you, what do you mean? No, no. But the world's flipped this thing on us here, bro. Ah, I'm going to approve of God. I think I'll accept him. Go find that in the Bible for me. Go find that in the scripture for me. You won't find that. No, no. I'm trying to get his approval. He doesn't need my approval. He, what audacious, what pride and arrogance. I'm accepting God. Who are you to accept God? Does that make any sense to you anywhere? In any, but our whole world, man, I accepted the Lord. Good for you. But did, did he accept you? That's what righteousness is. That's him approving me. And I can't even, Henry, wrap my mind around God approving me. I can't get my mind around, but I know what the Word says. And they were, if we obey the commandments and observe everything, then we can get in His presence. But by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed, if I'm hungering and thirsting for His righteousness, how do I know this? Because I know what the Bible says. Abraham Romans chapter 4, verse 3, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness. Well, what are you talking about? Abraham got God's approval. He didn't have a temple. He didn't have a tabernacle. He didn't have Moses and a rod. 
He didn't have Jesus at Calvary. He didn't have any of that stuff, but he, he, simply, did, he, he simply did what God said, told him to do, and God accepted him, and God approved him, and God did the miraculous in his life. I, I, I couldn't imagine, Brother Matt, being 75 years old, and God said, get your stuff and move. Surely that wasn't the voice of God. <laughs> Too much pizza last night. I don't even <laughs> I, I, I got a condo on the golf course, God, you know. We're going to play nine in the morning and nine after work, you know. God, you know, don't you understand? I'm going fishing today. I got all this stuff going on. And we go crazy overboard to the absurd extremes to get one person to approve us. Whew, wow, that's awesome. Look at that. Look what you did. Look at that, right? And we come into church. And we won't say it, but sometimes our attitude, that immature attitude says, well, God, you better do something today or I ain't coming back again. Come on. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. You better get something done today, God, or I ain't coming back again. But what about, listen, what if we put the same energy into getting his approval that we put into getting the approval of this world? What difference would that make? Because I'm telling you what the promise is. The promise is they shall be filled. If we put the same energy into getting the righteousness of God that we do the approval of the things or the things, whatever that blank is in your life, what difference would that make? And when I began to look at this and say, wait a minute, you know what? David the shepherd and David the king, yeah, that he pursued things he shouldn't have? He absolutely did. Why? Because he's human just like me. Did he do things he shouldn't have done? He absolutely did. But here's the difference. The young man shepherd and the old man king, they both had the same desire for the things of God. If anything, as he became king, he desired God more. Listen to me. You hear what I'm saying? That's an attitude. That's a mature attitude. What are you talking about? I'm talking about I've been in the church for 30-some years, and I want to be in the presence of God more now than I did then. Well, well, wait a minute. When I first came into church, he, Brother Sherwood, he was forgiving me for this and this. That was constantly something to forgive me for. There's not as much to forgive me for now. I've learned some things. I've grown a little bit. I've become, I hope, a better person. I'm not trying to, to pipe. No, no, but I'm telling you, I've got a greater. I woke up this morning. That alarm clock went off. Uh, I was out of bed. I jumped up, got, got myself ready. Why? Because I was coming to the house of God. That's a perspective. That's a life view. That's blessed, happy, mature are those people that are hungering and thirsting for. There's the blank. That's a hard blank to fill. That's a tough challenge because pursuing righteousness is not easy. It's a lot easier to pursue that path of least resistance. It's a lot easier to pursue, listen, man, us four and no more. We get our family together. We got our thing. Y'all do your thing. Don't bother us. There are a lot of people that should be here this morning that aren't. I hope they're watching, but you should be here this morning. Why? Why? Because you still got to have that hunger. That's why online TV don't do it for me. There's no hunger in that. There's no desire in being in my living room watching online. It doesn't do anything for me. I'm sorry. I hope we never have to go to it permanently. I pray we don't. But I have got to get to the house of God because it matters how you come. Amen. 
It matters your approach to God. It makes a difference. And some people wander all their life, and they're good people, and they come to God, and they, they pay their tithes, and they, do all, they check all the blocks that they should, and they wonder why they're never truly satisfied. Sister Gibson, they go from church to church, from pastor to pastor. They go from how they, right? It's nothing new. We, we understand this, right? They're never satisfied. What's the difference? Their approach, their attitude to the things of God. It, it's really the big difference right there. It, it's, it's, the, it's the mark of demarcation that stands there and says, I'm never satisfied. Paul said it this way, that I might be found in him, Philippians 3 and 9, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, the things that I do, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God. I can't fill in the blank for you. You can't fill in the blank for me. Well, Brother Roberts, do you really want a new boat? Some days, but I don't want to pay the cost. That's the truth. I, I, I would love to sport a fancy new boat. I would just be tickled pink until I had to make the payments. $1,000 a month for the rest of my life? No. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. And bring a million dollars with you. Right? But here's the thing. I don't ever want to lose the desire to be approved by God. It's a dominant, I know, I'm out of time, but it's a dominant spirit in our world that we think we're entitled to something. I'm not, enti not, I'm not entitled just because I do this or do that or I've done this or done that. None of that entitles me to everything. Every time I walk in that door, it's a new opportunity to seek his righteousness. Every time I walk in, every time they get up there and begin to play, it's a new opportunity to get into the presence of God. Every time the preacher opens the word, it's a new possibility. It's a new promise that's coming to me. If I'm not hungry for it, if I'm not there, I ain't eating broccoli. You don't have to eat broccoli. But when the Word of God begins to come across there, don't tell me you didn't get nothing out of it. The truth is you weren't hungry and you weren't thirsty because you filled it with something else. Pastor, I hope I never lose that desire. I want it more than I want anything else in life. Amen. Because all those other things, they just can't fill that void. They can get in there and I can feel good. Oh, I'm satisfied. After that big meal, you know Thanksgiving, right? Whew, all that turkey, let's get a nap. What do you do as soon as you wake up? Oh, I got to get some of the turkey sandwich and some... Because they're not going to really satisfy. But I promise you this. We're going to move into our worship service. If you have a hunger and a thirst for the presence of God when we begin to worship and when the preacher begins to preach, no matter if you like it or you don't like it, you say, that's what I need. And you hunger for it and you get it. It will satisfy to the depth of your soul that nothing else can. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. 
To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait.